from the Wayne Sumner Studio. My recommendation is in honor of the British Bodie McBoatface. It's uh, Sonny McCarface. Broadcasting live in Boone, North Carolina on 90.5 WASU-FM. You're driving and you think you start getting hungry and you're like, oh, I have a Dunkin' Donuts app on my car. Why not I just buy 12 donuts? Around the world on iHeartRadio and WASURadio.com. It's astonishing what you've done. You managed to have a three-car pileup on a road with a speed limit of 25 miles per hour. Right in front of the police station, too. So, uh, congratulations. This is Loopy Radio. This is Loopy Radio. This is Loopy Radio. I'm Loopy. I'm going rogue. It's Thursday. I don't think I've ever done a Thursday show before. Originally, my show was Friday. Uh, and then I upgraded myself to uh, Wednesday. I, I, I like to have my Friday nights uh, to do things. You know, Wednesday Wednesday seemed a little better. But uh, yesterday we were at the Boonaroo Boon Music Festival. Uh, some people showed up. A few. Uh, more than more than us, I guess. It was fun, though. There was free food, and uh, I still went to Chick-fil-A anyway, because that, that's what I do on Wednesday. Uh, gave away all of our t-shirts. That's one thing that, uh, as station manager, upon being uh, chosen, I swore to the world, uh, to the public, that we would get rid of all of our white WASU t-shirts. A previous employee, uh, we're not totally sure why, uh, purchased millions of white t-shirts. Uh, and we've really, really struggled to get rid of them. But finally, we have given away our final t-shirt. I'm living up to my promises. I'm better than every single politician. All of them. But uh, some big news today. Uh, they have, so as I uh, described before on my show, predicting that obviously this would happen, it finally has been finalized. We will be selling, we as in the school, will be selling alcohol at sports events uh, this coming season. It will happen. So we'll cover that in a minute. Uh, it took a vote and the uh, the vote passed unanimously. Uh, some news on the Boeing 737 uh, fiasco. Recently, I've been, uh, I mean, I really have never flown in my life. I did once when I was little and I didn't remember it. And then all of a sudden, I meet my family on a vacation. I fly out to that. Uh, in a few weeks, I'll be flying to Chicago. A few weeks after that, I'll be flying out to Dallas. Uh, and then possibly other things uh, in the future. We'll see what happens with that. So all of a sudden, I feel like some airplane expert. And I'm especially an expert in the reality that flights are getting rescheduled and canceled all the time. If you've flown within the past few months, you understand stuff is constantly being shifted around more than usual, and the reason why is because all the 737s are grounded. It's uh, really hurting Boeing. It's really hurting the air industry, and as a result, they're going to probably sue Boeing, which will hurt Boeing even more. But the most common uh, commercial jetliner in the world, the Boeing 737 MAX, uh, is grounded all over the world. 
it is not legal to fly that plane anywhere right now. Still probably safer than the North Korean uh, airliners. And then uh, some big, not surprising news, GM self-driving cars, General Motors. Uh, they are saying that no, they will actually not release self-driving cars this year. Who would have thunk? Who would have thought? So it looks like the uh, stuff of the far future uh, will not be a part of the near future. You know, that's uh, who would have thought? You know, we just repaved the road. We, uh, somebody just repaved the road right outside the radio station here. Uh, River Street. And that the lines are all there and fine. But there's so many roads around Boone in the mountains. Uh, lines are worn off. Roads are super old and just bumpy. Because yeah, the, the self-driving software is looking at lines on the road. It, it doesn't see and think like we do. It's just looking for a few specific things. And there are so many roads in this area that don't have markers like that. And then there's the plethora of gravel roads and dirt roads. Like, how is it? How is a self-driving car supposed to do that? And then deal with pedestrians walking in the road and then deal with other cars. Deal with animals. What's, an, what's a uh, self-driving car going to do if a herd of cows crosses a road? It's not like it's going to say, oh, look at those cute cows. It's not going to know what the heck is going on. And how do you begin to program a herd of cows to a self-driving car software? So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get to that uh, in a little while, probably in an hour. But when we come back, I've got an article for us. It's fresh off the press, digitally. ASU trustees approve alcohol sales permitting at all athletic facilities. We're talking Democrat. We'll be right back. I'm Loopy. There are are infinite puns I could make right now about that because Appalachian State, along with uh, many other uh, UNC system schools, have approved alcohol sales at athletic facilities. And that is for events like, say, football games uh, and basketball games, if anyone goes to those. Uh, This is from the Watauga Democrat uh, today. It says the Appalachian State Board of Trustees unanimously approved a motion allowing the athletics department to pursue beer and wine permitting for all of its stadiums, including Kid Brewer Stadium and the Holmes Center. That was at a special meeting held today. I believe it was earlier this morning. Uh, the motion included allowing permitting uh, at Kidbrew Stadium as well as Varsity Gym, uh, Basketball's Jim and Betty Smith Stadium, Softball's, uh, uh, I don't know how to pronounce that, so I'm just going to say uh, Family Stadium, Future Athletic Facilities from the uh, 105 property where the old high school was. So when they finally get around to doing that, they'll uh, they'll pursue that. Then the Holmes uh, Convocation Center, 
and field hockey's Adcock Stadium and the Appalachian Soccer Stadium at the Ted Mackerel Soccer Complex. So also known as everywhere. Most importantly, though, uh, this is gonna this will impact football. It, it, I've talked about this with several students, and they're like, "You know, students are bringing in alcohol to these games." So it's not like it's like we're going from zero alcohol to infinite. Uh, but but the the fact of the matter is now it's going to be mainstream. It's not going to be like, "Whoa, they have alcohol." It's going to be like. It's going to be normal. And that, that's that's the fact of the matter. It's funny, the uh, some of the reasons why they're doing this, uh, one is a safety reason, not a safety concern. It's a safety reason. They're saying uh, this is a good idea, allowing alcohol sales games. I don't think it's a bad idea. It's just it's big news. Uh, but they're saying one reason why it's beneficial uh, I never really thought of this because I don't really drink, but uh, they're saying it's going to keep people from binge drinking before a game. Now, I guarantee you there are some people out there that this will not affect their binge drinking, but it kind of makes sense. You know, if there's no alcohol at the game, then someone's going to be tempted to just drink it all before the game. You know, and all the implications that come with binge drinking. So there we go. The football team is saving uh, our fellow binge drinkers on campus. Uh, the article that I'm looking at from Taga Democrats says, when asked if ASU Athletics uh, could get the permitting to, in place to sell alcohol by the first home football game on August 31st, the athletics director, Doug Gillen, said that is currently the plan. So... No word that I've heard or seen uh, saying that it, this is at risk of not happening for uh, the first home game, August 31st. Something I need to find out, though, because now I'm, I'm the head of this radio station. We do a, a big thing for all the football tailgates. Uh, Duck Pond Field no longer exists. So the spot the school has given us to blast music uh, is now a construction site. And they haven't really told me uh, where we're being moved. Or if there's things like electricity. Electricity is important. Uh, the approval by the trustees became possible when Governor Roy Cooper signed House Bill 389 into law on June 26th. Which will allow state universities to sell beer and wine at athletic venues on game day. So I guess uh, that's for state universities. I guess I wonder if it's always been possible for private universities. I wonder what the uh, the deal with that is. I think the biggest thing to take away from this, though, is not uh, the fact that you can now legally have uh, alcohol. At a sporting event, but it's it's really a money maker for the school, a money maker for sports, and then obviously every single time you add ways to make money from college sports, there's more and more incentive, more and more reason why the players should be compensated. 
There's more and more and more reason for that. The more money you're making. You know alcohol sales will increase money a lot. You you know it will. Previously, App State allowed the sale of alcohol in limited capacities at football, basketball, and baseball games as part of club events or beer gardens that were technically outside the stadium. Going forward, Gillen, the uh, athletics director, said there's a meeting on July 30th, so in a few days, uh, with the NC Alcohol Beverage Control Commission, where uh, he said a lot more details on alcohol permitting and sporting events will be hashed out. So this is all brand new stuff. I mean, you know, new legislation. Uh, we're we're pioneering here. We're uh, we're figuring it out as we go along. So I guess that's that's why they're, you know, the uh, August thirty first first football game. Uh, they're hoping they're hoping this all falls in together. Senior Associate Athletics Director Jonathan Reedier said that all, uh, other football bowl division schools in North Carolina, like uh, NC State, UNC, Wake Forest, Duke, have already allowed alcohol permitting for sporting events. Many of them have made that change in recent weeks because of the legislation. So we're joining in on the fun. I'm Loopy. So I've been uh, flying recently, you know, casually, but I've really never done it in my life. I've never really, really had a reason to, and then now all of a sudden I'm a, I'm a senior-ish in college, about to be a senior, and this is kind of what you got to do sometimes if uh, you're trying to get into an industry that doesn't bring in too many people. You've got to go to where the... The companies are. And so I have booked myself for several big radio conferences that they've let me in for free, which is nice. But, uh, you know, obviously you got to get there and you're not going to drive to Dallas, Texas. You're going to fly. And I've driven to Chicago before, but I'm going to fly. And then I just met my family out in Colorado and Denver uh, for a little bit of a vacation and I flew for that. Uh, and we it was a bit of a fiasco, flight-wise. Because these are the types of, of journeys that these, airli- these airliners would prefer to use the Boeing 737 MAX. Or a derivative, the, some version of the 37. The issue is, is that uh, no one in anywhere in the world can fly 737 right now. They have all been grounded, all of them, and that's uh, that's due to multiple uh, crashes in Asia within a few months of each other earlier this year, and uh, it was they, it was discovered that it was the same software problem both times, and. Lives were lost. Many were lost. So the world, there was a world aviation group that banned it. You can't fly them anywhere. Not just the U.S. 
And it, an interesting thing to just kind of think about, though, is that obviously pilots, actual pilots, will voice their opinion on this. And a lot of American pilots say, you know, there, there's a reason why this crash, these crashes happened in East Asia as opposed to the United States. And that's because the, the U.S. pilots are held to such a high standard that this problem is highly avoidable for a for a pilot in the U.S. All, all the pilots are very qualified. But some of these uh, small-time airliners for countries that don't have nearly the amount of money that America has, uh, they couldn't fix the problem when it happened. And that's why the plane crashed. No, nevertheless, I mean, these planes still have an issue, so it makes sense that they're grounded, but it's got some serious effects. Uh, here's an article from Bloomberg written by a woman named Mary Schlagenstein. Uh, it says, fallout from the global ban on Boeing's 737 MAX deepened as American Airlines warned that profit this year would take a $400 million hit. While Southwest Airlines scratched the jet from its schedule into next year. American Airlines Group said Thursday that the drag on its annual pre-tax profit would include a $175 million hit for the second quarter and an expected $125 million penalty in the third. We're talking serious cash. Meanwhile, Southwest Airlines said a caution dictated removing the MAX from its schedule through January 5th, becoming the first U.S. carrier to drop the grounded aircraft for the rest of this year, no matter what. Because they are actively, Boeing is actively working to solve the problem. But Southwest is just saying, you know what, forget about it. Till January 5th, we're not going to touch it. The airline will also stop flights at Newark Liberty International Airport outside New York City. Uh, the announcements made as the carrier's reported earnings came a week after Boeing said it would take a $5.6 billion pre-tax charge to compensate MAX customers. That's a lot of money. The manufacturer on Wednesday said it might uh, need to halt output of the plane. And it's it's hard to not emphasize enough how important the 737 MAX is, uh, it's the most common jetliner. Period. This is like taking all Toyota Camrys off the road. Except it's even more dramatic than that, because there are not hundreds of different types of commercial jets to choose from. There's like 10. This is the most common. So the fiascos I was having and my family were having, uh, I mean, the minor things were plane reschedulings. You know, you're expecting your plane to leave at 3 in the afternoon. All of a sudden, they send you an email saying, hey, you know what? The plane's actually going to leave at 10 in the morning. So forget everything you're doing that day. Sorry. That was the least of our problems. I was woken up at 3 in the morning with an email saying our flight that day was canceled. Yay. You know, stuff stuff like that you have to deal with. 
So my I had to come back here to schedule music because the station was going to run out of music if I waited too long. So they found me one way to get back to Charlotte, and that was to fly to Texas and then fly to Charlotte. And then my family flew in on a red-eye flight at 1 in the morning. And it, it's, it's a struggle for these airplane uh, companies. Struggle for Boeing. I mean, they're getting, or, you know, because they have the 737. They've got lots of orders on it. Companies are starting to cancel orders. You're talking about a several hundred million dollar aircraft. I mean, you can't be having canceled orders on that. That's money. That's big money. Big losses. They say uh, a little description of the uh, 737 here, why it's so important. It's called a, it's a, uh, it's a narrow body jet. Uh, they call it a fuel-efficient workhorse. It's, uh, you know, as far as I've been finding, it's the best there is. And it's grounded. It's literally grounded. I just thought of that. It's not like a little kid getting in trouble. It's uh, This thing's grounded. You're grounded, Mr. Boeing. Search Loopy Radio on Spotify. I'm Loopy. I mean, I don't want to be the, the person responsible for scheduling air flights. Uh, the more the more I find out about how commercialized air traffic works, I mean, you have to be intelligent is not quite enough, I don't think, in order to fully comprehend how to do this. You know, because truckers uh, makes a little bit more sense to me. I have a cousin who's a trucker out in Colorado. He has a route. Five days a week, he goes from Denver to Salt Lake City, Utah, back to Denver. Does that five times a week. Same roads, largely the same times. Predictable. But when I was uh, when I was flying the other day uh, from Denver back to Charlotte, I was starting to pay attention to where planes were coming from and where planes were going. The plane that picked me up came from Chicago, took me to Texas, and then flew, oh, I forget, it was like Orlando. And then the plane that picked me from Texas to Charlotte then left, I don't know where it came from, but then it left out to Las Vegas. So not only do you have to select where the planes are going after from where they come, you also have to figure out the times for all that. And then if something goes wrong, which that could be like a some sort of a plane malfunction or who knows, for whatever reason it could get delayed, it could get canceled. And if it gets canceled, you have to help those people who had that ticket for that plane that got canceled. You have to help them still to go to where they were going. 
And then we're not even going to talk about moving planes around an airport alone. That's just – that also makes no sense. I'll stick to fumbling around with words and talking about random things into a microphone. I, I can do that. I will not be an air traffic control person in ATC. Will not do it. Uh, this thing from Bloomberg. 737 cancelings are uh, groundings. I mean, not only is it difficult enough to schedule airplanes... You all of a sudden are told you cannot fly your most common workhorse airplane. So what do you do? I mean, when I was in Dallas-Fort Worth sitting around for an hour, I was looking out just at the planes coming in and going and whatever. And I noticed several planes have really had really, really old paint jobs. For American, you'd see like four different styles of American Airlines paint jobs. There were some planes out there. I swear they looked like they were straight out of the 80s. I would not I would not be surprised if when they grounded all the 737s, these companies were like, well, guess we got to pull some planes out of retirement. That doesn't sound sketchy. I mean, they were retired for a reason. That's fun. See, I'm fine with driving a car from 1985. I did that for three years. Uh, An airplane's a little different. This article from Bloomberg says, For now, American has kept its two dozen MAX aircraft, the uh, 737s, from its schedule through November 2nd. So they're willing, if they can fix the 737, if Boeing can get their act together, Americans willing to bring them back in on November 3rd. That's still a little ways off. Ironically, though, for the industry, even though these, this is only making it difficult on them, there is a slight silver lining uh, from these airplanes being grounded. If you think about it, there are fewer seats for sale. And there's the same amount of demand. So that means the, uh, they've been able to raise prices. I mean, that's not good for us, but for them, they're still losing money. But, hey, they get to say they got to raise prices and people still bought. So I guess that's kind of – that kind of looks good. Americans said revenue for each seat flown a mile, a gauge for pricing uh, power unit – power known as – uh, this is so poorly worded. We're just going to say they made more money per seat. You know, you don't have all need all these technical terms. They raised the prices and made more money. America. What is this unit anyway? I don't understand. All right, well, uh, coming up fairly soon, GM is saying they're not going to sell self-driving cars this year. What a shock. I'm Loopy. I'm Loopy.
This Boeing thing really is a fiasco. Uh, so not only is it a problem for the airlines, not only is it a problem for me, it's a problem for Boeing. Who would have thought? So they've got orders. You know, people order these things. It's not like you just go to the Boeing store and buy a 737 Max. I mean, you got to wait. And it's a financial commitment, you know. They only cost like hundreds of millions of dollars. So, you know. So there's there's a there's a backlog of orders for a 737 Max, but a 737 Max right now is illegal to fly. So there's some companies that are foregoing their down payments and just canceling and just saying, no, you know, we're not going to risk it. Because even though it looks like they're going to solve the problem, it's it's a software issue. But I guess there still is some risk that you could get a brand new 737 and never, ever be allowed to fly it. There's a risk. So obviously companies like Southwest and American and companies all over the world, Emirates, they, uh, they're not too happy with the fact that their big investments have a possibility of being complete busts. And right now, since they're banned for a little while, they're somewhat busts. You know, because they're, they're expecting these planes to last for a certain amount of time, make a certain amount of flights, make a certain amount of money. And that's how they can calculate if it's worth paying all the money for these things. You know, it's all, it's all thought through and calculated. Boeing has said it, ex- it expects uh, the regulators will return the MAX to service in the fourth quarter this year. That's what Boeing expects. So I guess they got to fix it and then prove it. Southwest accepted uh, that estimate but said it could take two months to get aircraft out of what they call mothballs. That's a good description. So out of being stored in the middle of nowhere uh, and comply with changes ordered by authorities such as pilot training. See, the pilot training is what the United States does well compared to where these things have actually crashed. So even if uh, – so that kind of – you know, Southwest has shown us even if right now the authorities said it's fine to fly a 37 again, it's going to take time to bring these things back. It's not like you just go to the garage and pull out the car. You know, these airplanes are being stored like in the middle of the desert, just sitting there. You got to go get them. You got to clean them and make sure nothing got messed up. Southwest Airlines Chief Financial Officer Tammy Romo, not to be confused with Tony Romo, uh, said 25 of the 41 remaining max deliveries scheduled for this year are expected to slip into 2020. So there are now delays. Southwest's operating income was reduced by $175 million last quarter as it parked its 34 MAX jets. They got 34 of them. And they didn't receive aircraft on order. The grounding will continue to raise Southwest's costs as the airline cuts flight and seating capacity this year. So uh, if you plan on flying and your plane gets moved around your scheduling or canceled this could have a major major reasoning for that this could be why
GM. I, I am completely never, ever in my life will I buy a self-driving car unless I, like, lose limbs or if when I'm old I understand that I should stop driving. I don't think I will ever understand that uh, given who I am. Uh you know, self-driving cars, if they worked, they'd be great for the elderly. They'd be more mobile than ever. But self-driving cars would be so boring. I would hate it. GM says uh, their self-driving cars that they were wanting to push out this year won't happen this year. Saw that one coming. We're so far off having self-driving cars. You know, the craze for electric cars started back in the mid-2000s. It's taken until 2018 for Tesla to be relevant. And it's going to be 2020 to 2022 before other companies' electric cars will be relevant. You know, so we're talking 15 to 20 years from craze and media coverage to reality. And that's just all that took, all that had to happen in that 20-year period was for batteries to get good enough. I think it's going to take five times as long for software to be developed so that it's actually safe to drive a self-driving car wherever you want to go, for it to actually be practical. And I think it's part of these big companies. They're working in areas that have a lot more money that have roads put together that are constantly repaved and kept nice. These people don't live in rural, mountainous North Carolina and Tennessee. They probably think a gravel road is something that was left in the 1700s. When a self-driving car to be mainstream... It's going to take a lot of what we don't have. More on that in a second. I'm Loopy. I'm Loopy. So I've, uh, this past summer, I've achieved one of my goals in life, and that's to the ability to drive a stick shift. I love it. It is fun. It really is one of those things where, like, at first, it seems really weird, uh, fairly bizarre. But I'm a car nerd, so I, like, know how it works physically. I know the componentry behind it. So I think it it might have come to me a little sooner than most people. But it really is a thing where once you get the feel for it and you know what you're feeling for, that that's all you need. You're set. That's it. And it's a blast. Uh, That's one thing that's a rare skill to have. Some people say the best anti-theft protection you can have for your car is a manual transmission. And uh, they're not wrong these days. But the difference between a manual and an automatic transmission is super different than a manual or automatic driving car. I mean, talk about people becoming lazy with technology. 
are we really going to get to the point where all cars are self-driving and no one's going to want to learn how to drive a car because they're too, you know, lazy to do it? It's not like driving a car is really a burden. For a lot of people, it's a thrill. Even around town, it's just fun. No, I can see I can see self-driving cars and like self-driving trucks helping companies because the biggest expense is always the the employee. So if you have self-driving cars, I mean you don't need people to drive them. So it'll, it'll save a company money, but I have zero interest in owning a self-driving car. Zero. Not only do not only you know is my main reason that I think it will not work for many years and that it's unsafe but I also uh I just want to drive. I don't think I'm alone in that. I'm I'm you know I'm not one to be scared of new technology. You know, I'm 21 years old. I'm one of the people that quickly embraces new technology. I'm one of the first people to buy into it. I will never buy into self-driving cars. Nor will I ever buy a self-driving car. Well, GM, General Motors, um, really has not had a lot of successes with brand new technology uh, as seen in the Chevy Volt. Uh, They have just come out and said uh, they will not not be making self-driving cars this year after all, even though they were planning on it. And Gadget says General Motors is uh, and its self-driving car subsidiary, the Cruise, uh, will miss their goal of rolling out delivery cars by the end of the year. According to Financial Times, Cruise uh, said more testing is needed. Oh, really? They say delivering self-driving cars at scale isn't just about winning the tech race. It's about winning the tech race and the trust race. I mean, I just don't trust it no matter, you know, I'm never going to trust it, I don't think. I trust myself more than a machine. Unless I build the machine and I know it works, and I'm not going to trust it. And I'm not building a self-driving car, for crying out loud. But this cruise division of GM uh, has gotten a $2.25 billion investment from SoftBank. They've hired people, they're testing stuff, and nothing to show for it for this year. We'll see uh, We'll see how many of these cars actually ever exist. I, uh, I think it will not be many. Nissan has problems. We'll be talking about that here in a second. This is Loopy Radio. From the Wayne Sumner Studio. How do you think... When it says there's a 60% chance of rain. Because usually when there's like a 60% chance of rain, it rains some. Which would mean if it's raining, it's a 100% chance of rain. But it's really a 60% chance of rain. So what is it really talking about when it says 60%? Like if it's 90%, you expect it to rain. But it's 90%. That's not 100%. But we all we all know it's going to rain when it's a 90% chance of rain. So that's 90% as opposed to 100% of what if it's going to rain? I don't know. Broadcasting live in Boone, North Carolina. If, if the average of the Earth is going up by 3 degrees, and Charlotte, North Carolina's average has gone up by like 10, apparently, 
That means somewhere else is going down seven. This is Loopy Radio, hour two. Hi, Loopy. The GM is not succeeding in uh, their goal of having a self-driving car, and Nissan is not succeeding in being a car company. We'll talk about that here in a second. But the big news of the day, uh, I talked about this when it first arose about a month ago through House Bill 389, I believe. Yep, House Bill 389 from June 26th, Uh, and that's about alcoholic sales at athletic events for App State, as well as any other public school, public college. Oh, goodness. Yeah, just public university, public college in North Carolina. Not any public school. That would be a disaster. Uh, The ASU Board of Trustees has unanimously, unanimously approved of the sales of alcohol at sporting events. uh, Effective now. We just have to get permits, which take time. Uh, this is from the Retired Democrats. It says the Appalachian State Board of Trustees unanimously approved a motion allowing the athletics department to pursue, pursue beer and wine permitting for all of its stadiums, including Kid Brewer Stadium, The Rock, and Holmes Convocation Center. They decided that this morning. The motion included allowing permitting at Kid Brewer Stadium, Varsity Gym, Jim and Betty Smith Stadium, the, uh, the softball family stadium that is soon going to be replaced by the future facilities at, App- at the uh, Appalachian 105 property where the high school used to be, as well as the Holmes Convocation Center, Adcock Stadium, and the soccer stadium at Ted um, McOrrell Soccer Complex. Everywhere, also known as everywhere. Uh, when asked if ASU Athletics could get the permitting in place to sell alcohol by the first game of the football season on uh, the 31st of August. ASU Athletics Director Doug Gillen said that that is currently the plan. And I haven't, I haven't seen anything saying otherwise. That's the, uh, that's the plan. The approval by the ASU trustees became possible when Governor Roy Cooper signed House Bill 389 into law on June 26th which will allow state universities to sell beer and wine at athletic events on game day. Previously, App State allowed the sale of alcohol in limited capacities at football, basketball, and baseball games as part of club levels or so-called beer gardens that were technically outside the stadium. Going forward, Gillen, the, uh, the uh, athletics director said there's a meeting on July 30th in five days with the North Carolina Alcohol Beverage Control Commission where he said a lot more details on alcohol permitting at sporting events will be hashed out. So that's that's what we're working on now. We've got the permission. We've got the board on board. uh, And now we've just got to work out specific legal details. It's all new. This is all new. So we got to make up the rules. Senior Associate Athletics Director Jonathan Reeder said that uh, all other football bowl subdivision schools in North Carolina, or FBS schools, uh, North Carolina, such as UNC, NC State, Wake Forest, Duke, 
ECU and UNC Charlotte have already allowed alcohol permitting for sporting events. Many of those uh, similar to us in recent weeks. It's not like it's not like there hasn't been alcohol at these sporting events, uh, especially in the student population. But uh, this is going to make it mainstream, which will will certainly affect uh, the feel of being in the crowd there. It'll certainly affect how much money the average uh, attendee is spending at the game. Alcohol at sporting events can be so expensive. I mean, I, I went to a, a baseball game in Colorado. And I don't drink much. And I was like, hey, maybe I'll want to get a drink. I looked at the price and I went, no, you know what? I'm not going to. No, I don't I don't think I want to drink. It's so much. But they, they can do that because, A, there are billions of taxes on alcohol. And, uh, B, uh, people will buy it. Alcohol sales go up in the good times and alcohol sales go up in the bad times, as they say. And uh, good times and bad times happen at sports events. It's called winning and losing. So uh, some big news for the world here. Nissan, you know, they make cars and stuff. They are going to lay off 12,500 people uh, after the uh, operating profits fall 98%. They're, uh, They're not doing too well. So, we'll get into this here in a second. The numbers aren't good. 12,500 people is a lot of people. And uh, I haven't seen many new Nissans on the roads. So this totally makes sense. Uh, and there's some scandal going on, too, that's not hurting them either. That's uh, not helping them either. We'll dive into that in a second here. I'm Loopy. I'm Luffy. I mean, how would it feel to be the person who decides, you know what? We need to uh, we need to lay off some people. I mean, that that would never be a fun job, ever. And I know some companies, uh, some bigger companies especially, will have as part of a job description for someone's position. They're the representative that goes to someone to say you're being laid off. It's a, it's a messenger. You can't you know you can't hurt the messenger, but everyone would know that that's the person who tells you you're being fired. So whether they're coming to you to say something nice or to say something not as nice, uh, you're going to be scared to see them. Now picture being the CEO of Nissan. Who then says, you know what, we need to lay off 12,500 people. That doesn't, that doesn't sound too fun. There's a pretty big reason for it. This is from Ars Technica. It says, uh, Nissan will reduce global headcount by 12,500 people over the next three years. After a brutal quarter saw that net income fell by 95%. 
Automakers around the world have been struggling in recent months as well. Ford said earlier this year that it would cut uh, 12,000 jobs in Europe, while General Motors has announced plans to eliminate thousands of jobs in a series of cuts. Nissan uh, has been having a particularly rough year. Then-Chairman Carlos Ghosn was arrested in November of 2018 on corruption charges. So chairman of the company arrested on corruption, uh, creating a massive distraction for the company, no less. Nissan has had a complex set of financial relationships as well with Renault and Mitsubishi that make management of the company more complicated. So they're just not in a good spot. Since uh, Gosen's dismissal from the Nissan board, CEO Hiroto Siakawa has struggled to turn the automaker's fortunes around. Those struggles were evident in Nissan's latest financial results, which cover the April to June period. Nissan revenues fell 13%. Operating profit fell more than 98%. I mean, that, yeah, not, not good. Saikawa believes that uh, Nissan's fundamental problem is an excess of manufacturing capacity. So too much, too much manufacturing capacity. The company is aiming to reduce its global production capacity by 10% by 2022. None of this goes fast. It all takes years to happen. Nissan also plans to, quote, reduce the size of its product line lineup by at least 10% which presumably means eliminating some of Nissan's less successful models. Yeah, you'd think. Nissan had announced plans to cut about 5,000 jobs earlier this year, but the company upped the number to 10,000, and earlier this week, now 12,500. They say most of the jobs will be auto plant workers. All the manufacturing, that's where they think their problem is. But uh, I haven't, I have not seen many new Nissans on the road. It's been, if it's a Japanese car in this country, it's Toyota or Honda. And Toyota's really selling. And I've noticed recently, uh, if you pay attention to the commercials, Toyota does not describe their dealerships as dealers anymore. They describe them as Toyota stores. No, I don't think anybody else does that. I wonder why they, they chose. I guess there's a different feeling behind a Toyota store as opposed to a Toyota dealer. Who knows? Have you uh, have you been in, in the craze of podcasts, podcasting? Uh, I personally do not listen to podcasts. I only make them. But many people, many people listen to podcasts, and there's been some big updates uh, coming out on how to try and make money with podcasts. Most podcasts don't make any money. And, I mean, since you're not really being paid, you could think of it as uh, if you were being paid, the podcast would be losing money. But it's just so easy to do. Uh, it's like a little add-on for a lot of companies, and so it's now just kind of part of the job description for a lot of people. Do your job, and oh yeah, by the way, every now and then make a 
make a podcast. Apple, might have heard of them. They're reportedly planning to pay for exclusive podcasts. We're, we're starting to see a lot of exclusive content for Netflix and Amazon Prime, all that stuff. Apple's now thinking about trying to have exclusive podcasts. And uh, the only reason why you do that is a money reason. You know, if, if there's no money to be made anywhere, you know, it doesn't really matter if it's exclusive. But they're looking for the big ones that they know will bring in some cash. They're reaching out to the executives of media companies to find uh, big-time people. And Apple actually invented the quote-unquote podcast. So, uh, you know, it's, it's been a little while. It's about time somebody's tried to make some money on it. Back in a minute, I'm loopy. for my podcast to exist. So I I do my talk show and I just press a record button two feet to the right of me and plug a flash drive into this machine and uh, out comes and podcast. And so if you search Loopy Radio, L-U-P-I-E Radio on the internet, you'll find my podcast. It's all over the place. Uh, Does it make money? No. Does it exist? Yes. That's basically the reality of all podcasts. They exist. And uh, whether people listen or not, generally, there is no money to be made. None. People haven't figured out how to really monetize a podcast. I mean, obviously, there are a few big ones that everybody knows about. And naturally, if you can you know claim that everybody knows about your podcast then big corporate advertisers will be like well let's let everybody hear about me through advertising but a lot of podcasts exist like mine uh specifically in the radio industry you take a talk show and just trim it down and post it it's an extra it's not it's not the reason why I'm here, but it's there. And for a lot of other people, a lot of like political pundits or uh, even money managers, professionals who want to get their name out, uh, they'll make a podcast about what their expertise is. Some people listen to it, but they don't do the podcast in order to make money. They do it for publicity uh, and to keep them in other people's minds stuff like that you're not going to make a salary a living salary off a podcast and apple has known that apple basically invented the podcast they uh coined the term podcast as in ipod uh all a podcast is though is just audio and that's also all that radio is 
audio. So they're really one and the same. Radio is live. Podcasts are not. That's really the only difference. Apple is now trying to see if they can do something in order to get an edge and make money. Uh, this is from Engadget. It says Apple reportedly is looking to buy exclusive rights to original podcasts. The company has reached out to executives of media companies, but there's no clear strategy in place yet. It's going to be difficult. Since Apple's share of the podcast market is so large, anywhere from 50 to 70% of podcast listeners, any movement uh, that Apple makes would likely shape uh, the industry for the future. With consumer demand for podcasts on the rise, more podcasting platforms have shifted to exclusive content. Spotify and Stitcher, Apple's competitors in the podcasting space, already have their own exclusive programming. Just last month, Spotify signed an exclusive podcast deal with Higher Ground, the production company of Barack, of uh, President Barack Obama and Michelle Obama. Higher Ground. The streaming platform has a full lineup of podcast exclusives. I'm not going to read them all. It's a lot. So, yeah. So, podcasting, for me, doesn't make money. Does it allow a few people, though, to listen to my show if they want to? Yes. Does it allow me to send my show to future employers? Absolutely. Is that why I do it? Yes. Uh... But uh, you probably know who President Barack Obama is. You probably know who Michelle Obama is. And if you're like a lot of people, uh, you worship said Barack Obama and Michelle Obama. And so a podcast, an original podcast owned by Apple of President Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, uh, that could make money. You kind of see the you see the thing here. Apple's saying, okay, most of this doesn't make money, doesn't cost us any money. It's just we wrote the software and just let it run. However, there are a few that we can make a buck on. So let's try to see if we can make it exclusive so that if somebody wants to listen to it, they listen to our version of it. Since building the podcast platform onto iTunes in 2005, Apple hasn't made any moves to monetize it. No money's being made. The company doesn't run ads or charge creators for hosting on its platform. And that's, uh, that's pretty normal. But with exclusive programming, that, uh, that could all change. Users may be convinced to stick with Apple so they can listen to their favorite podcasts, or they may pay extra for a podcast subscription service in the style of Apple Music or Apple TV+. Plus or like a Spotify premium, that sort of a thing. I still don't totally understand the podcasting craze. I really don't. I get that it's a lot like talk radio in the sense that like, you get used to the voice and you like hearing the you just like hearing the person no matter what the content is. But I I do feel like a lot more people say they listen to podcasts uh than is actually true. I think it's kind of right now a cool thing. It's a fad. So if you ask a group of 100 people, 70 might say, yes, I listen to podcasts. But the reality is, is 
they've listened to a podcast or a piece of a podcast, and that was it. They're not avid listeners, which is what money is made off of. But we'll, we'll see what's uh, what's going to happen. If Apple makes a big move, uh, it could change how I host my podcast, where I put it online. And uh, obviously it wouldn't affect just me. It would affect really everybody else who produces podcasts, whether for money or not for money. Here's something random. India just tried to go to space. We'll talk about that here in a second. I'm Loopy. AppState's godfather of talk radio. I'm Loopy. The whole podcasting thing, uh, my two cents is it's a tool that uh, can be useful. Uh, it's a nice way to listen to things that have happened uh, that uh, you couldn't hear live in that sense. Good for long drives uh, if you're sick of music and just need a change. It's not. It's never going to be something, though, that's like a multi, multi, like billion dollar industry. Uh, that's just not – it's not going to happen. And I think the reason why a lot of people listen to it right now – is because there's really no monetization of it. There's really no ads to sit and listen through. It's just the content that you wanted. And so when we start to monetize this stuff, viewership's going to go down a bit. And, you know, it it can be a great tool. It can be exactly, it can uh, be exactly what's needed when you're in the mood for it. But I don't think it's the kind of thing where, like, every day you're at work and you zone out listening to a podcast. It's not like a background type thing. You've got to sit and think uh, a lot of times for a podcast, unless it's, like, stand-up comedy or something. Listen to a funny bit every few minutes. But here's a uh, – in in the wake of uh, the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11 and all that sort of moon landing, all that sort of things, uh, India tried to make a historic moon mission, and it didn't happen. This happened a little over a week ago uh, from the LA Times. It says, just 54 minutes before launch – India postponed a historic unmanned mission to the South Pole of the Moon due to a technical snag. The Indian Space Research Organization, or ISRO, said a problem was detected in the launch vehicle system of the Kandrayaan-2, the country's first attempt to safely land a rover on the moon. It's either Candrian 2 or Chandrayaan, I don't know. It's got a lot of A's in it, and a Y. The agency said that the, uh, the decision to scrub the launch, which had been scheduled for about 3 in the morning, was taken, quote, as a measure of abundant precaution, that a revised date would be announced later. I have not been able to find that date. 
The postponement marked a temporary setback for India's efforts to join a a growing global space race. Uh, This is a pretty big deal. What they're trying to do with this mission is fascinating. And the budget they're doing it on is the uh, most incredible part. They've got, compared to other in... Uh, other countries, they're they're dealing with no money, no resources. Built entirely with homegrown expertise and technology, and for the relatively low price of about 140 million bucks, the lunar mission has been designed to gather detailed information about frozen water inside large, shadowy craters pocketing the unexplored lunar south pole. So there's Lots of water on the moon in the form of ice. It could make discoveries that could be crucial to realizing the vision of humans living on the moon. I mean, yeah, water. You know, that's uh, that's a thing. Nearly 50 years after NASA's historic Apollo 11 moon landing, a crop of extraterrestrial missions are being planned by the U.S., uh, Chinese, and other national space agencies like Russia. Along with private initiatives financed by tech billionaires like uh, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. India had been uh, aiming to become just the fourth country after the United States, Russia, and China to safely land a probe on the moon's surface. China did that thing earlier uh, that was incredible and frankly not what the world expected by landing something on the dark side of the moon which is technically very difficult because you can't really control something with radio waves on the other side of the moon. So they had to deflect their signal. Very complicated. Very impressive. They pulled it off. They say globally this is a pioneering mission for human habitation beyond Earth. That is their goal in going to the moon. Is to try to figure out or at least piece together a few more pieces of the puzzle of uh, living beyond Earth, carrying more than a dozen scientific payloads, including a NASA tool designed to gather precise measurements of the distance to the Earth. The spacecraft was due to land near the lunar south pole around September 6th. But uh, as far as I know, it has not launched. Only $140 million, though, for this. That's staggering. To land something on the moon, I don't, I don't, I don't know the uh, the official numbers on budgets and things like that for for NASA or the Chinese mission. It's more than 140 million dollars. I'll tell you that. And it was all homegrown knowledge and in uh, technology, which is which is pretty fascinating. It's good for them. Scientists said the lander would deploy a 60-pound, six-wheeled rover to roll slowly across the lunar surface for about two weeks, collecting information before its solar battery runs out. Doesn't seem like very long. An orbiter is expected to circle the moon for about a year, uh, relaying information and capturing high-resolution images. So maybe that's where uh, a bit of the $140 million is showing up. The rover only lives for about two weeks. Still fascinating, though. I, I do love this stuff. Uh, we got a little bit more about the water on the uh, on the moon and a specific type of helium that they're looking for. 
Lots of weird science that I know nothing about, but it'll be pretty important one day. I'm Loopy. I'm Loopy. I do love all the measures that are being taken these days for space exploration and all that stuff, but they there always seems to be something key that everybody ignores. And one of them is that NASA has said many times, in order to travel from here to, like, Mars, it would take a few months. Uh, if If you were to ride in a spaceship from here to Mars over the course of a few months, you would get cancer. And so would everybody else on that jet or whatever rocket. The atmosphere is kind of important, you know. Uh, and you don't have that when you're in a space rocket flying through literally nothing. Uh, yeah, you know. So everybody, you know, you get like 30 people to go on this thing to go start a colony and they all get cancer. So, you know, that's going to inhibit the ability to do things down the road. Yet we, we're still trying to, you know, put this stuff together. I mean, that I think that still applies to the moon. You know, we want to inhabit the moon or whatever because that'd be cool. I don't know if it's really necessary, but... uh the health risks are astronomical. And same with the, the having a different gravity. Muscle tone would change dramatically. Like people living on a different planet, unless it's the same size as the Earth and has the same mass, uh, or living on the moon, I mean, it's the people will change. They'll adapt to that surface. I mean, I would love to see basketball players play a basketball game on the moon. I mean, everyone would be doing crazy dunks, for sure. No gravity up there. But uh, India, they did uh, cancel... Well, they didn't cancel. They postponed their mission for this rover. Uh, I'm not sure if it has gone. I don't believe it has. I would have seen otherwise. If it did launch, it would land, uh, get to the lunar south pole at about September 6th. But obviously, it'll get there later than that now. There would be a six-wheeled rover that would do stuff for two weeks until it ran out of battery. And uh, an orbiter would circle the moon for about a year, doing various tasks and taking cool photos. Uh, they say that besides measuring quantities of water on the the south pole of the moon which apparently there's a lot of ice down there, and water is ice. Ice is water. Uh, besides measuring quantities of water, which could help in the manufacture of potable water and rocket fuel to sustain future manned missions, the Indian mission is also expected to gather data on deposits of materials such as helium-3, which Indian scientists say would be harvested for use in nuclear reactors on Earth. Uh, hey. Thinking outside the box. They got stuff on the moon that we can bring back here that we don't have much of here. Hey, go for it. India's space program is small and is known for its low-cost missions, 
But ISRO, as it's called, has embarked on a series of more ambitious deep space projects. The Kandrian-2 mission follows the 2008 launch of Kandrian-1 Luber Orbiter, which blasted uh, a probe near the South Pole that sent back information that helped confirm the presence of water molecules inside the craters, which have been shielded from shielded from sunlight for eons. So this stuff doesn't even see the sun. It's kind of sad. Six years later, an Indian satellite uh, went into orbit around Mars. And this year, their prime minister announced the successful test of an anti-satellite weapon, India's first non-civilian space initiative, and a sign that the country, soon to surpass Britain to be the fifth largest economy in the world, uh, aims to become a comprehensive space power. And one thing that uh, the Uber... Uber leftists uh, made fun of that Trump announced a little while ago, the idea of making a space force. I think it's a brilliant idea. You know, countries, even India now, you know, they want to establish themselves as being, uh, you know, having a foot in space. You know, we have we have the money right now. We have the technology right now uh, compared to everybody else. Why not? You know, why not put ourselves in a better position? But uh, people who don't like Trump just said, no, it's stupid. In January, uh, in January, a Chinese probe was the first to land on the far side of the moon close to the South Pole. A mission that state-run media described as a major step toward the establishment of a manned Chinese lunar base. So China wants to put uh, not only people on the moon, but a, uh, a base. On the moon. That sounds slightly terrifying. Partly in response to China's advances, President Trump has called for the U.S. to return astronauts to the moon by 2024. And his administration has said it would consider employing commercial rockets to meet that goal. That could include rockets such as uh, the kind being developed by Elon Musk's SpaceX or Jeff Bezos's uh, group. Blue Horizon to the world's best funded private space initiatives. Yeah, we do hear a lot about SpaceX from uh, Elon Musk, but Jeff Bezos, the Amazon dude, his thing, Blue Origin, is not to be messed with either. They just don't get as much press. I find this all interesting, but I really understand none of it. We'll be back with the end here in just a second. I'm Loopy. I'm Lupi. So to kind of cap off this uh, space thing for India, India is saying, in light of all these missions they're doing right now on a budget and all that, they have an intention to launch a manned space flight in 2022. And uh, ultimately... They want to establish their own space station in about a decade. If they manage to do that, I mean, that's a big statement. Now, a lot of countries, well, I guess not a lot, but the the countries that are in space, a space station kind of seems like a thing that is a must-do. India apparently wants to make one. China wants to make one on the moon. Russia and the U.S. share the International Space Station. I guess that's kind of a... 
Like when you have that, you're legit. That's what kind of what it sounds like. I do like being in a space race, though, because what it does is it, it allows us to develop a lot of stuff that uh, we wouldn't necessarily be developing. Like, for example, Velcro. Velcro is an invention of the space race back in the Kennedy days. So we wouldn't, we wouldn't have things like Velcro, among many other things. Lots of safety innovations that we use today. Lots of knowledge of just how things work. So not only does a space race, uh, you know, drive us to go to space and, you know, you kind of have competition that drives you harder. But, you know, you come out with other benefits that you wouldn't necessarily always have. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I'm not sure if I'll be here next week. My apartment's lease ends on Monday, and then a new one starts a week later. So uh, I'll be homeless for a week. So I don't know if I'll be in town. But you can always find out if I'm doing a show. I post on the Facebook for Loopy Radio, L-U-P-I-E Radio. Give me a like. makes me feel good. Thanks for listening again. I'm Loopy.